what do you want your life to be known for? I think a lot of us would agree that we want our life to matter. We want our life to be a success. We want to do something to make a difference. But have you ever asked yourself what that actually looks like? And how do you get there? I don't know if you're like me, but I, I kind of spent my time growing up looking at the people, maybe they were in sports or it was in music or just in the culture around me. And it just seemed like the people that were successful just came easy to them, right? It was like they had the talent or, you know, they had, they had the right upbringing or they, they had the right doors open for them. And it just was simple, but you know, the more you read about the people and you, you learn about the people that you admire, the more you realize that, man, it seems like one of the realities in life is to find success in life is you have to go through the ups and downs and valleys and peaks and the difficulties. I was reading this week about Jerry Seinfeld. Many of you probably have seen Jerry Seinfeld, watched the show, probably the most famous of all sitcoms. I didn't realize this about Jerry Seinfeld. The first night he went to a comedy show, he, he had his time to stand on stage and he froze and he got booed off stage and jeered and actually thought about quitting. He went home and had to decide, am I going to go back the next night or not? Thankfully he did because we've got been blessed by so much comedy and so many jokes over the years. Abe Lincoln, regarded as maybe many people's favorite president, one of the most famous presidents, one who led to uh, the abolishment of slavery in so many ways. Did you know that when Abe Lincoln went into the army, when he went into war, he went in as a captain, and when he came out of war, he was a private? I don't know if you guys have any military background, but that means he got demoted. I mean, Abe Lincoln demoted, really? He must not have had the top hat by then, right? Abe Lincoln seven different times was defeated politically, had several businesses get go bankrupt, and yet he had a chance to be a president who made a difference in the history of this country. I don't know what kind of music you guys, guys like, but many of you would be familiar with Jay-Z, the, 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 the face and voice of Rockefeller Records and um, married to Beyonce. That may be how you know him, right? It might be for Beyonce, but, but Jay-Z, interestingly, he, you know, if you know his story, he got rejected by every label when he was trying to come up. His first album was a dud. He started his own label and all the artists left. It was a true mess. But then he released Hard Knock Life and everything took off. And now has sold over $500 million worth of albums. And, and so you, you'll notice there's this theme, it seems like, in, in the world and the way that life works, that the people who have seen success, however you want to gate success, who have seen success, are people who have experienced the ups and downs and the valleys and peaks and worked hard through those things. But yet, I don't know about you, but it seems like in my life, so often, when, when I am striving after success, and it doesn't come easy because it takes too long, or I, I face adversity, or, or, or it's just difficult, or I, I, I begin to listen to what other people say, or I don't think that I have the ability, I get deflated, and I quit. When I was a kid, my grandpa put a basketball goal in our driveway, and I'm pretty sure he measured the 10 feet from the grass and not the driveway, because for some reason, my three-pointer was always a foot short, right? Now, it could be because I'm 5'8", but I, I don't think so. I think it was because he mismeasured the, the, the goal. But I, I spent hours on this court. It's nothing I wanted more than to hoist the trophy like Joker and the guys did this week. <laughs> There it is. Go Nuggets. 
So I get to seventh grade. I make the seventh grade team, and it was great. Starting point guard, I mean, seventh grade. <laughs> Eighth grade, I got cut. And now, now, granted, it, we had a lot of a lot of ballers on that team, right? A lot of guys went to plan to play college ball, but I got cut in eighth grade. And you know what I would have done, what I should have done is maybe hire a coach or spend all year playing on a rec team. And, but you know what I did? I quit because it got hard. And I think a lot of us have those same stories and it may not be sports, but it might be in a business venture or trying something new or in a relationship. It could be in taking that next step in your career, but we have this tendency to run into hard things and quit. And have you ever wondered why? Like, why do we do this? I don't want to make you raise your hand because we've all done it. And if I had to make a guess, I think it's this. I think that we have the wrong measurement for future success. I think a lot of us, we look at culture around us, we see people who are successful in in jobs or in family and sports, and we think that success comes from having natural ability. We think success comes from being able to perform at a high level. We think that success comes from having everything fall into the right place. Now, there does need to be those things. But what if success wasn't based on how naturally talented you were or how good you were at performing or what other people said about you? What if success came from being faithful? What if success, the secret sauce to success, was faithfulness. You know, today we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. And if you were with us a few weeks ago, Pastor Mitch taught about Paul, who was formerly known as Saul. That was his, his Hebrew name. Paul, his Greek name. Saul was a, a, a soon-to-be Pharisee, a Pharisee in the training who hated Jesus, and he hated the church, and he wanted to do everything he could to snuff it out. And we saw in Acts chapter 8 and 9, all this crazy stuff that was going on. And, and Saul gets, uh, he has his intervention with Jesus. Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus and is, he goes blind and he, he, he doesn't know what's going on. And Jesus speaks to him and Saul puts his faith in Jesus. Saul sees Jesus is real. Saul sees that everything he was doing was wrong. And now Jesus calls Paul to become the voice to the Gentiles. Paul's new mission in life is to now take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to the Roman world. And so today we're going to see how that plays out. And it's really interesting if you look at the life of Paul, because you look at Paul and you see a man who was successful. I mean, just listen to some of these statistics of the life of Paul. You know, Paul, over the course of 13 years, we estimate, in his missionary ministry, he embarked upon three missionary journeys He traveled more than 7,000 miles. He planted 14 different churches, thousands of new believers, churches that spread all over the Roman world. I mean, when you read Saul's story, you think that he's He-Man riding on the green tiger, right? Like, this guy is a superhero. But I think as we're going to look today and we're going to see the life of of Paul, we're going to see a man who self-proclaimed was not a very good speaker, that other people say he was not a good-looking guy. He didn't perform well. He wasn't a good presenter. A guy that was shipwrecked and, and stoned, and not Colorado stoned. I'm talking about the other kind of stoned. And he was beaten and left for dead on multiple occasions and all these things. But yet God used him to do all these things. How did this guy do all of that? Faithfulness. And I think there's something for us to take away because Deep inside of all of us, there's a drive, a desire to do something good, to to matter. And if you're a believer, if you've said yes to Jesus, there's something inside of you that wants to do something great for God. 
But often we say, oh, I just don't have what it takes. I'm not good enough. Or I don't have the natural ability. But what if God is telling you today that you have everything you need? You just need to be faithful. So if you have your Bibles, I want to look at the, the story of how Paul's missionary life gets started in the book of Acts chapter 11. Just to back up a little bit in Acts 7, we saw that um, early church leaders started to face persecution. So Stephen, if you guys remember the story of Stephen, Stephen gets, gets martyred. They lay their coats at the feet of Paul. In Acts chapter 10, well, and after that, we see the church scatters. They're all afraid of Paul and, and these, other, these other Jewish bad guys that are going to try to take him to jail. In Acts 10, we saw last week that God reveals to Peter that the gospel is just not meant for Jewish Christians. It's meant for everybody. And so now the gospel is going to start moving forward. And then by the time we get to Acts chapter 11, we see the first church outside of Israel get started. It's, the, it's found in Antioch. Somebody say Antioch. So the first church gets started in Antioch. And so that's what we're going to kick off at, Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. Let's follow along here. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some among them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. Hellenists were like Greek Jews. So there's a little bit different than, say, some of the Jews that lived in Israel. But there were similarities in their faith. So there were some who spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was on them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So you see the gospel spreading to Antioch, and now you see this first church. Now here's a map, if you guys want to know, where's Antioch? Here's a map that shows you. So Jerusalem's at the bottom, Damascus in the middle where Paul was going, where he met Jesus. And then if you go all the way up the river, you'll see Syria, Antioch, Syrian Antioch. Antioch was a common name, and so there were several Antiochs. This is the one that we're seeing here in Acts chapter 11. So you notice they're moving up towards Asia Minor and Europe. And so verse 22, notice this. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now Barnabas, you learn about him if you go back in the early in the book of Acts. He was a leader in the early church, sold some property to the church, um, got plugged in, loves Jesus, and they saw him as a future leader. So they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And verse 23, when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he, was, he exhorted them, he encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord and with steadfast purpose. And notice, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So the church is growing in Antioch. Things are, are starting to pop. Things are looking really good and really exciting. In verse 25, Barnabas realizes he needs some help. So notice what he does. Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus. Somebody say Tarsus. To look for who? Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Isn't that cool? Like, you know, he's like, hey, you know, what's your faith? Well, we're Christians. It all started in Antioch. Before, they were known as followers of the way. And so now this is the first time. And actually, it was a derogatory term. Christian wasn't like a nice term. You didn't put it on your name badge, right? It was like those dirty Christians, right? And so it was a bad term, which now, thankfully, is a good one. Now, so let's think about this. Now, we see, we see Saul meet, meet Jesus on the road to Damascus, and now Saul is actually serving at a church in Antioch. 
But I want you to notice something. There is a period of time that happens in the middle. Let's do, who, who here likes math? Like two of you? All right. I saw a couple of you like, went like this. <laughs> like, no, not quick on the spot. Get your calculator out. Scholars estimate that the year Paul went to Antioch was 46 AD, right? So about 46 AD, mid, mid 40s. Now, Jesus goes to the cross, we think somewhere 28 to 30 AD. Jesus was born before zero. You guys might not have known that, but it wasn't actually zero when Jesus was born. Stephen dies around 32 AD. Saul meets Jesus on the road, scholars think, between 34 and 36. What's between 34 and 36? You guys are quick. 35. So we're going to go with 35 today. So what's the difference between 8035 and 8046? Man, you guys are good. 11 years. So what's Paul been doing for 11, 12 years? What do you think? Like watching Netflix, playing Sudoku, right? What's Paul been doing? Paul's been studying. He's been learning. He's been reading. He's been, and, and at that point in time, they had the Old Testament. They didn't have all the Gospels because Paul wrote half of the letters in the New Testament. And so Paul's spending time comparing what, he, what he's hearing from the disciples to the Old Testament. He, he's learning. Uh, we, we do see that, that the Bible tells us that Paul spent three years in Damascus and, and then Paul goes to Jerusalem and then he has to, to flee. So he spends time with James and Peter and, and John, James, Jesus' brother. And, and so we think it's about nine years. He's actually being discipled. Somebody say discipled. You guys hear that word, disciple. What does disciple mean? What does it mean to be disciple? Well, the word disciple simply means to be a, a student or a follower of someone. So a disciple of Jesus is a student or a follower of who? Jesus. Who? Jesus. Jesus. And so discipleship is basically learning how to follow Jesus learning how to be a disciple of Jesus. And this is what Paul was doing for what we think was nine years. I mean, really 11, 12 years. The other night, I don't know, how many of you guys watched the Nuggets win? All right. Not enough of you. Not enough of you at all. But the other night, I was watching the post-game interview after the Joker and Jamal were holding up this. Now's the time to cheer, right? And they were interviewing Jamal, and they were talking about when they put this team together. If you guys are basketball fans, back before Jamal had an injury two years ago, that it was 2021 season, I believe, when they got Aaron Gordon, and they had this, what looked like a dream team. And yet they had injuries, and they struggled. And all, the, next, the last thing we, we, we saw was this team was going to underperform, and people started to say that, well, maybe Nikola Jokic isn't great because he hasn't been to a finals yet and all these things. And Jamal, in his post-game interview, he said that we thought we had the pieces, but we just hadn't learned to win together yet. And, you know, that made me think about discipleship. I know, it's a big leap, right? <laughs> but it, it, did, it made me think about discipleship because you think about the fact that, like, you know, to, to be good at anything in life, we have to learn. We have to have an understanding. To be good at your job, you have to, you have to go through and, and gain an understanding. And that's what Paul was, was doing for all these years. The, the reality is we all want to be great now. Like you in your life, whatever you feel like God has blessed you with or called you to do, you want to be great now. And you're wondering, God, where are you? And how come I haven't stepped into this yet? God, why is there not an open door for me yet? God, I've been praying and asking you for bring me into this new season of life and I'm not there yet. And could it be that God wants you to grow first? That God has something that he wants you to, to take steps forward in your faith and becoming 
a disciple and be learning how to be a student and learning how to follow Jesus. I think there's a reality we see here, and it's this, if you're taking notes, that faithfulness begins with a daily pursuit of Jesus. You want to say, well, what do we do? What did Paul do to go from being a guy that Jesus says, I want you to do something for me, to actually being able to go and do it? For years, Paul spent time pursuing Jesus. He spent time studying. He spent time praying. He spent time being in community. He spent time with the disciples. He spent time with other believers. If you're, you've been around Forefront for any time, or you know, you'll hear us often say that kind of the pathway to becoming who God called us to be is to know, to grow, to serve, and to go. And so we talk about this idea of knowing. It's like knowing who God is, who you are, what he came to do for you. And the idea of growing is, is stepping forward in that understanding and your knowledge and in your faith. And this is discipleship. And the thing is, often we think about as believers or in church circles, we'll talk about how do we disciple people? How do we get better at growing in our faith? And we think we need to put some like program together. No, discipleship is spending time walking forward with Jesus. Eugene Peterson said that discipleship is long obedience in the same direction. And so we go through discipleship here. We, we get discipled when we're together in community, like life groups and activity groups. We, get, we, we, we learn more about Jesus when we spend time over the table with someone or we're having coffee with someone. Like Learning to grow as a disciple isn't just checking a box. It's a lifetime pursuit of obedience in one direction. And that's what we saw Paul was doing. So I think the, the key is being intentional with your time, and we see that Paul did that. So here's a question I just wanted to ask as we navigate the rest of Paul's life. Is where does your time go? Like, if you say that I want to grow in my faith or I want to be the person God called me to be or I want to be successful in my life as a dad or a mom or a worker or a student, well, then you guys know that your intention reveals your heart. Where you spend your time reveals your passion and where you want to go with your life. And so if we want to grow in what God's calling us to be, we have to be intentional about our pursuit of Jesus. So no, notice this. So, so Paul and, and, and went to look for Barnabas. Look at verse 25 again. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a year, they met with the church and they taught a great many people. And it was there that they were first called Christians. Saul was ready. Paul was ready because he had spent time pursuing Jesus. And now he finds himself leading. So now, so it's interesting, if you read on in verse 11, chapter 11, the church becomes aware that there's a famine coming. They need to take up an offering to go to Jerusalem. And so notice who they pick. Verse 29, so the disciples determined every one of them according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So they pick Saul, and they pick Barnabas, and they send them to take the relief to Jerusalem. And so they go to Jerusalem. All kinds of crazy things are happening in Jerusalem. James, John's brother, is killed. Peter gets arrested again. An angel lets him out of jail. He, he proclaims the gospel. Really kind of a crazy story. King Harry gets struck down by God because he, he, he tries to put himself equal with God and things are getting nuts. And so verse, look at this, chapter 12, verse 24 says this, but the word of God increased and multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service bringing with him John, whose name was John Mark. So John Mark is the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Now we see Mark enter the story. So notice the pathway for Paul here. 
He had been studying, he had been discipled, and now he had been in, God opens the door for him to start serving. He's serving in Antioch, and now he goes to Jerusalem to serve. Now, I want you to notice something here about Paul. See, Paul didn't stop at studying. He went from studying to serving. A lot of us get stuck at studying. A lot of us, we, we, we say, okay, God, well, I see that there is this journey you're calling me, so I'm going to spend time in your word, and I'm going to spend time in prayer, and I'm going to even spend time with other believers. But that's often where we stop because I think we get comfortable there. And we don't step forward and begin to serve because, oh, I'm not good enough. Again, that whole thing comes in the middle. I'm not good enough. I don't have the abilities. I'm not, I, don't have, I don't have the ability to, to put those things together. And next thing we know that we kind of get stuck and we miss out on one of the biggest ways that God wants to bless you in your life. And that is by serving Jesus and serving in the church and serving others. Last week, I bought my um, kids a trampoline. And uh, I started putting it together, and then the rain came. You guys know what I'm talking about. And then Chloe fell off a chair and broke her arm, which if you've been following along for the years, that's common action for Chloe. We love her so much, but she's wild. And um, so now I'm like, do I put the trampoline together or do I not? Because she's got to be in a sling for four weeks. But either way, I start putting this trampoline together, and I pull out these instructions, and I'm pretty sure the instructions were meant for like a rocket engineer. Right, So Gene Shirley would be very good at putting this trampoline together, but I was struggling, right? So anyways, I, I start to figure it out a little bit, and so then I put the instructions down, and I start putting it together. You guys are like, it's a trampoline, and I'm like, I know. Seriously, I know. That's why I'm doing this and not building trampolines, okay? <laughs> so I started building this trampoline, and I realized this is actually way easier. Why? Because I, I, I moved from the book to actually doing it, right? See, I think a lot of times we sit and we read the Bible, and we're like, man, this is so hard. How am I going to do this? How am I going to tell somebody about Jesus? How am I going to serve in the church? Oh, I don't think I have any spiritual gifts. Oh, I don't think I can do that, Jesus. Love my neighbor, I hate my neighbor. I don't think I can do that. <laughs> and then we get out, we start talking to our neighbor, and we're like, you know, that's not as hard as I thought it was, right? I just gave him some cookies. Cookies always work, just tell him. <laughs> Guys, we, we need to be able to step from study to serve. Because that's where God moves in our hearts. And I think one of the things that we have to realize here is that God uses serving others to move truth from our head to our heart. I mean, you can read truth all day, but until you actually do it, that truth doesn't become as real as it could be, right? You can sit in a training session all day at work, but until you do it, it doesn't click. And so I think this is one of the things we see with Paul. It clicks. It clicks for Paul. And he realizes that serving is what springs him forward to what God's going to do next in his life because God wants serving to stretch us. One day, uh, you guys probably, if you've been part of a church for a while, you know the story. One day, James and, and his brother John come up to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, we've got a question for you. We want to sit at your right and your left hand when you become king. Now, that was a big ask. And it wasn't like they were just going to have these chairs, which would be sweet. But what right and left of the king actually meant was that you would hold very high positions in the kingdom. You'd be like an ambassador. You'd be like the, the viceroy or, or, or whatever. And so what they're asking is, Jesus, when you become king, put us in the highest positions in the kingdom. And Jesus says something really interesting to them. He, he, he says this. He says, well, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his, land, his life as a ransom for many. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that we want 
positions of success, but really the true position of success is by putting others first because it's in that that you let God sit in the first chair. Does that make sense? And Jesus, who could have taken the first chair, because Genesis tells us that God spoke word into existence. Colossians 1 said that that was Jesus. Jesus is the one that spoke everything into existence. John 1 says that Jesus is the logos, the word of God. Jesus is the dude in the universe. But yet Jesus took a back seat and gave his life as a ransom for everybody else. That's actually leadership. And that's humility. And that's what it looks like to serve. And so Jesus was teaching his disciples this well before they knew what he was going to do on the cross. But I think, again, it's where all of this truth goes from our head to our heart. And so it, it, I just want to, I'm going to be real here. If you guys feel like you're in a season of dryness, and you're in a season where you feel like something's missing in your life, or you're in a season where you're asking, God, when are you going to move? God, I've been praying. God, I've been waiting for years. When are you going to get here? then could it be what you're missing is you're stuck studying and you're not serving? Whether it's forefront, it's the community, it's community ministry, it's your neighbor, it's somebody at work, it's your family. If you're not serving somebody, you're missing the connection between God's word and your heart. So we see Paul gets it. Notice this, verse, chapter 13 now, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Okay, so now we see this is the, the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. Paul had been studying. He had been being discipled. Now he started serving and now he's going to go. Now it's time for Paul to be sending. But I want you to notice something. What were they doing before God called them to go? Did you guys catch it? Verse 2, what does it say? They were worshiping. They were and fasting. And then in verse 3, they were praying. They were worshiping and they were fasting and they were praying. Now, fasting's got a mysterious edge to it in our culture. If you look at the idea of fasting, typically in scripture, people fasted when they were asking God to reveal something for them or they were asking God for strength. So Jesus goes to the, the wilderness to, and he fasts to prepare him for the temptation that he was going to face from the enemy. We often see that the disciples were fasting when they were praying and they were asking God to move. They were asking God for, for wisdom or direction or to give them opportunities. And so what we see here, if we read through the lines, is that, that Barnabas and Saul and the other guys were fasting because they sensed God was calling them to do something. They sensed this urgency that God had wants them to take the gospel and to take it further, but they just didn't know who was going to take it and how they were going to do it. And it was during their fasting and their praying that God spoke to them and said, set apart Paul and Barnabas. So I think there's a reality here is that a faithful life looks for God's open doors. You want to talk about what faithfulness looks like? I think faithfulness, it looks for God's open doors. Paul and Barnabas, they were looking for God's open doors. And I want to ask you guys, like, are you looking for God's open doors? Now, you, you may not be fasting, but you could. Have you thought about it? 
Are you praying, hey, God, open doors for me. God, give me an idea for where you want to go. Back in 2018, Courtney and I, we got the call to move to Denver here at Forefront. And it was interesting for the year, for, for, for the year before that, we sensed God was doing something. We weren't sure what. We sensed God was stirring us up. And back in 2017, I, we, we sensed this. And I made the decision to step away from full-time corporate work and to go towards full-time in the ministry. And I, I felt like God was calling us to do that. But yet, the church we were serving at wasn't ready yet to do that. And we stepped out, and all of a sudden, we felt like we bumped against this roadblock. Like, God, what are you calling us to do? We sensed this. God was moving, but yet that door wasn't opening yet. And then we got a call from Forefront. It was God's timing. And the reality is in your life that God is moving like this, weaving. He's 100 steps ahead of us down the road. And you might step out today thinking that God is calling you to do something. What God is just asking you to do is be faithful because he's going to work it all together. And there's going to be some road bumps and there's going to be some times when you feel like you're running into dead ends and that maybe this isn't right. You don't think Paul felt that way? I mean, Paul was going to be the guy in Jerusalem as a Pharisee. And now Paul's hiding, reading the Old Testament, waiting for God to tell him where to go. And now God opens the door. I think God could be doing that in your life too, but we have to be continually looking for God's open doors. Are you looking? Are you praying? Are you sensing, seeking, giving God time to speak? So God sets apart Paul and and Barnabas and look at verse four. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Okay, so now they're hitting the road. Here's a map. If you guys want to get an idea for where all this is taking place at. So they're at Antioch. They moved to the island of, of Cyprus And then they moved up to what at that point was called Pamphylia and Galatia. And so you're going to be able to see that they're going around to these different places and they're speaking in synagogues. They're speaking to the Jewish Christians because they could go teach from the Old Testament and point to Jesus. And that's often where they started when they went on these missionary journeys. Now remember, it's been 12 years since Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. It's been 12 years since Jesus told Ananias, the guy that was going to go and talk to Paul and help Paul understand what his call was going to be. It was 12 years ago that Paul heard that he was going to be the voice of the gospel to the Gentiles. And it was 11, 12 years that Paul waited for this moment. And finally, finally, it was here. What would you call 12 years of waiting and stepping and following? Faithfulness. That's faithfulness, guys. Faithfulness to pursue Jesus. Faithfulness to serve when the door is open. Faithfulness to pray for God to open doors for your ultimate desires and passions. And faithfulness to go. God blesses our faithfulness with beautiful gospel opportunities. But Paul wasn't just faithful for a week or a month or even a year. It took a dozen years of faithfulness. And God Open the door. Now Paul is doing what he was created to do, what God called him to do, to take the gospel to the world. This week, as we were celebrating the Nuggets, went out to the, and I can't quit talking about the Nuggets, but it was great. (laughs) So Jeff Green joined the Nuggets this year. And what gives me so much satisfaction about this picture is, if you know Jeff Green, he got drafted in 2008 by the Seattle Supersonics, who don't even exist anymore right? Like the Supersonics are now the Oklahoma City Thunder, right? 
And so Jeff Green has played 15 seasons for 11 teams. How easy would it have been for him just to take the veteran minimum and walk away, to quit trying? He's made millions of dollars. 15 years, 11 teams. This year, he finally gets to stand on the top of the, of the world as a champion. And what a picture of faithfulness, right? I mean, think about how many grueling practices Jeff Green had on bad teams. And that now he's a champion. And I just think that's the same thing for Paul. Paul spent all these years grueling and grinding. And now, finally, Paul is taking the gospel. He's doing what God called him to do. And here's what's interesting. Jesus tells us in one of his parables that when we're faithful with the little things, we, God knows we'll be faithful with the big but when we're dishonest with the little things, God knows we'll be dishonest with the big. And so in your heart, God has wired you to want to do something big. In your heart, God has wired you to want to do something amazing for God. The question is, have you been faithful with the little things? Because guys, God's not going to trust you with the big things until you've shown that you can be faithful with the little. As we get ready to close our time here, I want to tell you a story about a man named William Carey. Some of you know William Carey, know his story. And William Carey was born in the late 1700s, got saved, decided he wanted to be a pastor, became uh, really an advocate for world missions. And William Carey was famous for preaching a sermon where he said that we should expect great things for God and attempt great things for God. What's really cool, if you look at William Carey's story, it was really a successful story. Just listen to some of these stats. William Carey's time in India, they started 26 churches. They started 126 schools. They translated the Bible into 44 different languages. They started medical mission. They started a, a Christian bank. They started a seminary. They started a girl's school, and they started a newspaper. And because of their ministry, millions of people have said yes to Jesus. I'd say that was a success, wouldn't you guys? Very successful. But yet as you read his story, what you're going to find out is that William Carey didn't have it come naturally to him. That William Carey faced so much adversity. When, when they moved to India, William became one of the first missionaries to ever go to India. When they moved to India, they underestimated how much money they needed. So they couldn't afford rent. So they had to move 30 miles north to an area of Calcutta, India, that was full of malaria robbers, gangs. As they began to try to do a mission, they ran into dead end after dead end. His wife got sick. His son died of dysentery. His wife fell into a, a mental trauma that she could never recover from. He and his family were malnourished and they were sick and they were battling their health the whole time. By the year 1800, they had been there seven years and not one person had said yes to Jesus. For seven years, they had been running into dead ends over and over again. And you could have understood after seven years of doing this, after seeing no success, it would have been easy just to think, God, I think you're telling me it's time to go home. I think you're telling me that I'm not good enough or I'm not performing enough or that I don't have what it takes. But in the year 1800, the very first person said yes to Jesus, Krishna Powell said yes to Jesus. And it ignited something beautiful that happened in William Carey in the ministry. By 1821, over 700 people had said yes to Jesus. 
And we look back and we see that, that countless hundreds and thousands and millions of people have said yes to Jesus in India now because of what William Carey did 200 years ago. But it had been really easy for him to walk away. But you know what William Carey was? He was faithful. See, each of you have the opportunity to do something great for God, to attempt great things for God, like William Carey said. And all God is telling you to do is to be faithful. He's not telling you that you have to have all the skills or to perform in some beautiful, ridiculous way. He's just saying be faithful. To the dads in the room, he's not asking you to be the perfect dad. He's asking you to be a faithful dad. I thank God for my dad. My dad wasn't perfect, but he's faithful. I thank God for my grandpa. He was faithful. And that's all I can strive to be as a dad, is to be faithful. So dads, brothers, uncles, grandpas, coaches, mentors, be faithful. Whatever God's calling you to do, he wants you to trust him. And so here's my challenge for you this week, wherever you find yourself, maybe for you, it's time for you to get faithful in pursuing Jesus. Maybe for you, you really haven't ever taken that step forward in discipleship. It's time for you to start studying. It's time for you to start being part of the church where you can learn about who Jesus is and how he's gifted you and called you to step out and follow him. For, for others, maybe that's where you've been, but that's where you've stopped. It's time for you to start serving, to be able to hear and feel the truth from your head to your heart. For those of you that are, have been serving and been faithful, are you guys praying for God's open doors? Are you praying for God to open a door in your neighborhood or at work or here at the church in this community for you to step into? And maybe it's to share the gospel with someone that you know, or it's to go to Guatemala on a missions trip, or it's to move to Calcutta and share the gospel for good. But whatever it is, take that next step because when we do, when we become a church of faithful men and women who are following Jesus, God will actually use us to change the world. Would you pray with me?